you were in prison for 22 years, right? Yes, 22 years. 22 years, you, you were born in Brooklyn. Uh, you were in Brooklyn, I think you were about eight years old, and then you moved over. I think it was uh, Philly that Philly. you moved. To, yep, you went out to Philly with your mom. Um, you were, Your mom was an amazing lady, like I read in the book. And I could tell she's an amazing lady, man, because I can tell the love that you had for women. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? It kind of reminded me, like, I me, mean, I love my girl. Like, I love my wife because my mom was a great mother. And yeah. it just, but that, that stood out to me because no matter all the stuff we're going to talk about in the book, all the crazy stories um, that you go through, man, you always got that heart. You know what I mean? Like, that's why yeah. when people say you can't re rehabilitate someone, you can't. Yeah, you do, man. We got a heart. <clears throat> Everybody, especially if you got that mind. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that, that stuck out to me. Uh, so let's just get started from the beginning, man. You you know, you were born in New York. Your dad died young over an overdose. Um, and your stepdad stepped in, but you never really kind of gave him that that piece. You know, give me a little bit of your background when you started, when you were young. You know, how was your household? Was it one of those just like a lot of the stories I work with, spam eating, growing up in a crack house, or was yours you know, middle, middle, middle family. What was it? Tell me a little bit about that. Well, I'm from an area called Brownsville, which is in Brooklyn, New York, Brownsville houses, you know, and um, I was born and raised there. However, you know, my mom, she, she worked at a place called BDC, which is in East New York, Brooklyn Development Center, where you deal with mentally challenged people. And, um, so, you know, she was making good money, you know, for that area. So she moved up and we moved to Pennsylvania, Philadelphia. And it was Northeast Philadelphia. It was like a middle-class area. It was way different than Brownsville, I'd tell you that. You know, Brownsville was- Were you, were you, know, you already involved in like, not maybe gang activity, but around the streets when you were already in that eight, seven, yeah, eight, you were already out? Yeah, yeah. When off I, the porch, like they say? Yeah, I, I stepped off the porch around 11 years old. Okay. I'd say around 11 years old is when I actually picked up a gun, smoked weed, you know, seen what was going on in my neighborhood and understood what was going on in the neighborhood to the point where I knew this was, you know, illegal. You know what I mean? Yeah, but yeah, yeah, for sure. Everybody was doing it. So it was just, you know, a part of a life, you know, everyday life. So I wasn't involved with no gangs or nothing like and, that. And, was, and that was during that time with the big crack era, right? That it yeah. really hit New York. Big, big, big crack era. It was the crack boom. This was in the 90s early 93, you know, 92, something like that. And, um, you know, being in Brownsville, like I said, that's a real rough area. It's predominantly black and Hispanic, you know yeah. what I'm saying? So there's no different types of flavors out there. So you're, you're, you're used to just being around those different types of people. And it's very poor out there, it's very yeah. poor. Everything is poor, everything is low class, schools is low class, stores are low class, apartments low class, everything is just, and, yeah, you know, and, 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 I, and I pulled up some facts here just for a lot of people that haven't heard of Brownsville. That's yeah. crazy. It says here, Brownsville, Brownsville has also the city's highest homicide rate from 2013 to 2017 with 16.9 deaths for every thousand residents. Bro, that's crazy. That's that crazy. They even have a number that for every thousand residents, there's a death. Yes. So how was it? I mean, you would come out the stoop. There's there's crack addicts, drug addicts everywhere, yeah. baggies everywhere. Yeah, um, yeah. And your yeah. mom worked all the time? Yeah, she worked all the time. She worked a full-time job. Her and my stepdad, you know, my father died, like I said, when I was about five or six years old from an overdose. He was a really good person. I remember him vividly. Everybody that knows him knows that he was a straight-up guy, you know. Yeah. But you know, you know what happens in the neighborhoods we come from, man. You know, things happen. We get addictions and stuff like that. 
But uh, my mom met my stepdad. He was a phenomenal guy. He's actually a psychologist, you know, retired psychologist, you know. And so that's I had my stepdad. Mom. Yes, my stepdad. He's been with my mom actually since I was five. He's still together. And, right and now. what and what and at those ages, man, because I know there's I hope there's a lot of kids that are gonna be watching this, you know, when they're at that age, eight, nine years old. Um, you know, why didn't you you seen a stand-up guy? Why did you not, you know, why didn't you get attached to him? Why didn't you listen? What made you not, you know, attached to that? Well, you know, like first and foremost, you know, he wasn't like the guys that was in my neighborhood, you know. So basically what I'm saying is he was more so an established man who had a career, had goals in his life, who didn't involve himself in the streets. And me at that particular time, I was more attracted to the guys in the streets. So, so his personality kind of, didn't, yeah. didn't, didn't mesh with the kind of guys that I looked up to, you know what I'm kind saying? Kind of like now, like the kids are looking at the rap artists, they got a great dad at home and yeah. they're looking at the hip hop guy and they're like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to do that. You yeah, know what exactly. I mean? They're not really looking at their dads going to work every day because there are a lot of good dads out here. So it's kind dad. of that situation. Yeah, he was actually a great guy, you know, even then and even now, you know, but you when you're young, you don't know anything. You're just looking at what you're looking at. You're, you're taught what you're taught. You know, the hood tell you what it is. And like I say, he didn't mesh with the kind of people that I looked up to. He yeah. was more so had goals. Yeah. He was driven by that type of, you know, goal-orientated professional, you know, so... I didn't look at him as somebody that I was attracted to, unfortunately, you know? Yeah. So, and I know, and then in the book, um, and again, guys, I, we didn't really say, but we're talking about his book that he wrote, guys. And I got in the book here, From the Sandbox to the Cell Block. I love the name, From the Sandbox to the Cell Block. That's dope. It's on Amazon. I just, I read it yesterday on Kindle, man. Um, again, and we'll put the link up in a little bit and I'll, and I'll put it on our, in our fact box next to here so people can check it out. Um, you know, and in the book, you, there's a there's like about a gap, bro, that you go from, you know, that age when you live leave, living to to Philly, and then you go from, you know, you, from being this kid, and now you go to Philly, and now you're completely retaliating against moms. Now things are starting to get smoky. You're out there trying to be the New York guy that's out here in Philly, trying to be the tough guy, or not yeah. trying to be because you were the tough guy. Really, the and tough then, guy. Yeah, you came in there stepping ground. Yeah. Um, why did you feel that happened? Do you think it was because of that? Because you felt like I'm the New York guy, got to hold it. I'm from Brownsville, and Brownsville kind of carved that into you, or was it? Yeah, you yeah. was moms, you was missing dad. What do? Because you had a lot of time to think about this shit, bro. Yeah, yeah. Well, when I when I got to Philadelphia, you have to understand, I was going back and forth from Philadelphia to New York every single day because I was still going to school in New York. Yeah, see what I'm saying? We was driving from New York City and sleeping in Philly, but I would wake up every morning, drive an hour and a half back to New York. So it was really like I never really left New York. You yeah, know what I'm saying? I yeah, just lived yeah. Oh yeah, you still went to school over there. Moms are still working yes, over there. I'm still in school out there. So, so just you're just living in the suburbs, pretty much like yeah. the middle suburbs and still in the hood. Yeah, exactly. And then, I was okay. in the suburbs, but I was in the hood. You know so what, I mean? what in, the, in the book you talk about, you know, you had a problem stealing. You know, yeah. you were stealing. What age did that start and what made you start? Because you said you had a problem. You stole from the family. You know, you stole yeah. from a lot of loved ones as a young kid. And yeah. I think that will, and, and, and just from my point of view, I think that's just a part of the addiction personality where you just start yeah. doing something and you just, but what do you think that came from? And where did that start? Was there somewhere that you just like, you, you stole some at first and then everything just came, became whoever takes it first? No, nah, it was a learned behavior. I seen... One of my family members go in the store and steal something. They was older than me. And 
when I seen him do it, I seen him do it a couple times. So I felt like stealing was okay because I didn't call it stealing. I just called it whatever my aunt was doing or my uncle was doing, whoever I seen doing these things. So there was learned behavior. Yeah. So that's how it became a thief. And at what age do you think that started that it got really, really bad? And I'm just pulling up right now the picture of your, of your book here, the front page. Just, yeah, I, I love the cover of the front page, man. I think you. that's super thank dope, you. man. Thank you. Um, so yeah, what do you think, what was your first thing you stole? Do you remember? Uh, I think I stole some stuff out of the store, like some candy or something like that. And I actually got caught. <laughs> oh, you got caught. got caught? Yeah, I got caught. I got caught, but they let me go. They didn't say anything. And then I, I stole like money out of my mom's house, you know, like things that just be laying around. You know, I'm, I'm only a kid though, you know what I'm saying? So I did yeah. things like that. They didn't notice it and they'll blame my brother, you know, because he was older than me. They'll yeah, blame yeah. my brother. So, so I kept doing it, you know? Let's let's fast forward a little bit more and let's go to when you get, all right, it's now now you're you're 19. Now your mom's tired of your shit. She's now she's she's had enough. She puts you into the system. The system puts you into the system deeper. And you get into the number one problem, which I've believed, and that's a big issue in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and in a lot of cities. In Milwaukee, Wisconsin, we have one of the highest crime rates, bro. We have a lot of big issues in this city. Amazing city, but a big issue. And um, it's the group homes. You know, yeah. you, you start, that's when you started your group home tour, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. You know, that what, was and explain that first day, man. That first day where you get to your first group home yeah. um, experience. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, before I got to the group home, I was put in the foster home, right? And the foster home was more so I was there with some Haitian lady. And long story short, I wound up seeing her do some voodoo stuff and I wound up going AWOL. I read about that. Yeah, I wound up going AWOL that I ran off. And I wound up getting into a place called Little Flower, which is in Long Island, which is the group home I was in. It's a co-ed, so it had females and it has Young guys, right? The party was going down. It was going down. It was like, <laughs> hey, man, you took me out the hood and put me back in the hood. You know what I'm saying? Like, and that's what I be trying to tell people about these institutions that they have established for young guys and men. You know, you have to really look at it for what they are. They did just you, don't did you it. did you witness or experience any like real tough tough shit at one of these group homes? that really sparked you up? Or you really like, I already had it in me. I was the trouble that yeah. came in. I already went in there crazy. Okay. I was already right. crazy from the beginning. You know what I'm saying? From day one, I was already a bad seed. You know what so I'm saying? So you think so, your environment from that young age just were really instilled that in you, that it was already too late when stepdad tried to put it? Of course, of course, because you gotta understand, you know, when you, just think about this, your child or anybody who have a child, think about when you have them when they're an infant and the things that you teach them that you think yeah. they're not paying attention to. And then all of a sudden they start saying the things that you were saying. And you say, where you get that from? And then you realize they got it from you, right? So that's how it is in the neighborhoods we come from. We get the bad things from the people that surround us and we become them, exactly. simple as that. And all right, and then so then, all right, you're at these foster homes now. Now things are getting serious. You run away from the foster homes. You end up just trapping it out. Yeah, I left right? the foster home. And yeah. now you're trapping, you're in the hood. Um, I don't think you had a warrant out yet for your, oh yeah, you had a warrant out because you left the place. Yeah. Um, that was one of the warrants that you had. And then yeah. you got into another situation. Yeah, yeah. Which well, was, I wanted to get picked up for a murder. You got, I got was picked 12 or 13 years and, old. And that's when they came in for the shoot. They tried to rob you guys. They came straight yeah. shooting. 
Yeah. And that's when you ran off and they picked you up as a kind of a suspect, but trying to put yeah. that on you. Yeah. Yeah, and exactly. So I, I read the book, man. I'm telling you, I got a lot exactly. of stuff here. What was that feeling as a as a young kid, man, getting to that to that room, well, that cold ooh. room, and the police is telling you you have a murder on you? Yeah, well, on top of you just all, seen your best friend just die. Yeah, first of all, it was crazy because I see him die, and it was crazy because when I ran off, you know, to get away and all that, you know, because it was a lot of gunshots and a lot of people yeah. shooting and stuff like that. So, you know, I'm a 13-year-old kid, so I go up the street, the police grab me, say that I'm responsible for a murder. And they take me and another guy in that's way older than me. And when I get in there, I hear him just squealing everything, a grown man just squealing yeah. on everybody that he knows. And I'm like, wow, what's going on? So that's when I get inside this room and the detective say, hey, we got you for a murder. You're going to jail for the rest of your life. You better tell us what's going on. And I, obviously, I didn't know anything was going on, so I had nothing to tell him. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. I was just there, you know what I mean? I was just... You know, and I, like I said, I, it, it desensitized me when I seen one of my best friends dead on the ground like that. You know, it made me feel like, man, like I was just yeah. with him at school with him. Now he's gone. Yo, that, yeah. that did something to me. It, it, it created a, a lot of, you know, a lot of issues within me. You know what I'm saying? A lot of anger, you know? Yeah, yeah. Especially seeing him die. Um, yeah. and, you had to take off running after that happened. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, it was you know, and I, another thing that stood out to me too, man, is the girlfriend. You know, I I appreciated that you wrote that out about the girlfriend, the yeah. one um that the auntie introduced you to the to the to the big homies, yeah, Macons, yeah. You know, and uh, how was explain? I just want to know a little bit more detail on that because we got a lot of young guys that had to fall in love like that. You know, they fall in love with the with the. I'm gonna try not to cuss, man, because I cuss a lot. But they fall yeah. in love with the vagina, man, and yeah. And it makes it it creates a lot of actions, you know. Yeah, see, it creates a lot of actions, bro. And they fall yeah. in love, and and you go into this world where, you know, how did that affect you? And how did it change? Because I think it puts you deeper into the world. You know what I mean? Because you came. I don't know. I think that made a change. How did it affect you? You know, with that female and fall in love with her and the auntie and seeing the guy fuck her right in front of you, and you were still yeah. down because it was about the money. See, see what at that when you get into when y'all get in deeper to that story, it's gonna blow your mind because what happened was I was involved with this female. She was like what we call a hood rat. And for those who don't know what a hood rat is, that's a female who's in the streets who have nothing on her mind, right? Yeah. And I was involved with her because I really had nothing on my mind at that time either, right? Besides the coochie. <laughs> so <laughs> so anyway, she she actually introduced me to these guys, you know what I'm saying, that was involved, heavily involved in the streets with a lot of kilos, a lot of drugs, a lot of guns, a lot of money, things of that nature. And one of them was actually like her boyfriend. He was really attracted to, but he didn't know I was her boyfriend on the side. Like I was the main boyfriend, <laughs> he was the side boyfriend. Little did I know, but did she had a side boyfriend either, right? <laughs> so when it come through, you know, cause her mom introduced me to these guys, trying to play me like, I was her nephew, so I could get involved with these guys. Cause, you know, they wanted to make some money. I needed some money. Everybody needed to make some money. Yeah. So I wound up getting with these guys. So one day in particular, I see my girlfriend go upstairs with the guy that I know likes her. So when he goes upstairs, mind you, I'm 16 years old. I see him go upstairs with a. I wait for about 10, 15 minutes. I go behind him to see what's going on. I crack the door. I see her having sex with him, riding him 
reverse cowgirl style. <laughs> and when I looked, she looked dead at me in my eyes. And I couldn't believe it because it seemed like when we caught eye attraction, she just got turned on more and just started rotting them even more. I couldn't, shit blew my mind, man. It blew my mind. And that's when I realized that people would do anything for some money. Because that was one of them. You think I allowed my girl to ride another nigga dick, excuse my language. <laughs> Do you think right. that affected you? Like, do you think that affected you? With, because you grew up with a loving mother, right? Because we're yeah. being real here. You grew up with a loving mother. So I think that, and with it, with reading the book, you had a love for women. You've always wanted a love for, you always wanted to have the, the love. And all. Do you think oh, that wow. affected you? You know, when, when you seen that, did that, or at least for that time, at least gave you some trauma for a bit? Yeah, of course. It, it made me realize that you couldn't trust a female at that particular time in my life. And I took on that persona. Trust no woman. Yeah. That's what it did to me. All right. So let, <laughs> let, 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 let's fast forward that. And, and, and now, you know, you get with these guys. You already got, you're already fighting a case. You're on the run. We're going to just preach to some of the stuff. You, you get on the run and you decide to rob a bank with some guys you barely even really knew. Yeah. Um, and uh, the bank robbery doesn't go good. Oh, man. And then when you tripped, oh, man, when yeah. you tripped, oh, I was yeah. like, my man yeah. tripped. I know, I know, I know. All right, so then you, we're, we're running through the bank. You know, you go in the bank, you do your thing. A lot of money, you guys snatch up. A lot of money, put yeah. it put in your pockets. You come yeah. out running out the bank. You trip. You get blood in your hand. Yeah. And you think, oh, you start thinking you're tripping. Because, even me, before I even read it, I'm like, oh, DNA, it's a wrap. This is where it's it goes. It's a wrap. Uh, but you guys get up and get up in the car. You end up being on the run for a while. Yeah. Uh, then you end up getting, you end up being on the run for a while. You, you're going through some situations. You end up finally, a guy sets you up. He tells they, they got about 30 pounds or something like that, right? Sets yeah. you up. Um, was he one of your friends too? Yeah, he didn't actually set me up. What happened was. Yeah, well, what, he, what happened? He was introducing me to this little yeah, thing. Tell me how you got caught. Run. How, how you got run. caught after the bank robbery. Yeah, I'm on a run. I got the bank money. I'm hustling. I'm doing everything I can do to keep money because I'm on a run. Yeah, and yeah, actually, yeah. actually, I was going to go to Cuba. That's another story I'll tell you about a little later. But anyway, <laughs> so you tell me about these 30 pounds that was in his house. So we go over there. But we made too much noise, you know. So the neighbors heard it and called the cops. And they came. I tried to run away. I got away. Oh, so you guys were house. trying to get in the house. Yeah, we tried to, we tried to take the weed out the house, yeah. The and what you guys were trying to get in through the window, the front door? Through the back door. We're trying to break the back door, get it in, get it in the face. Oh, so he wasn't trying to set you up then. He really no, no, no. was he trying to get in. He, he was setting it up for me to get some of the wig, you know what I mean? Because he was a young, he was younger than me, one of the little homies around the neighborhood. Oh, he was Cold. putting you on. Yeah, he was putting me on because he knew. He didn't know I was going to run anything like that, but he knew I was into stuff like that. And so the cops get there. Me. Where are you when the cops get there? Oh, when the cops get there, I see him. And I just run off, run through an alley. I'm in uh, a place called Frankfurt in Philadelphia, you know? So I run through the alleys for guys who know about that in Philly, big up to Philly, but I run through Frankfurt and I wind up in the, um, like these alleys and stuff and I run up in the house and they wind up catching me, you know, they wind up catching me like that. All right, so we're gonna speed this up a little bit because I want to get to the good stuff, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're 19 years old at the time, right? Yeah, they they I want to know that feeling, man, when they give you that time, because I I, and I think I wrote it down here because they gave you a lot of time. You yeah. know, I mean, you were already you were already selling crack at age 12, man. You were already. Yeah. So the time I'm sure they put all that together. And that's why they yeah. amounted to the time. Anyways, long story short, you have to do 22 years in. 
Um, and, and are you still on probation? Because I read a part of you have to be on probation for life. Yeah, I'm on parole right now. They got me on parole for life after I maxed out my sentence. Ain't that crazy? Bro, I did that two-year sentence. And when I get out after maxing out my sentence, they tell me, hey, you're on parole for life. How does that even make I, sense? I didn't, I didn't believe that. But we'll get back to that. Let's, let's, we'll get back to that. Yeah. So you're 19 years old. I mean, go back to that day where you're in front of the court and, you know, you pretty much life is done, man. They give you that 20 some years. That's it, man. You love you love vagina. Vagina's gone. You love money. That's gone. Your mom's amazing. You know what I mean? Your dad tried. It sounds like you have amazing cousins. You had a, a good support system. You just didn't attach to it. Yeah. You know, how did that feel that day, man? Like that that feeling when they sentenced when I got sentenced. Yeah. Well, I actually got sentenced for two different crimes. So I was I was already convicted of attempt murder, which they broke down to something called maiming, felonious assault, which is just like uh, with the use of firearm for shooting somebody, just broke it down to a lesser degree. They gave me seven years for that. And then, so I was already convicted of a crime before I even got all that other time, you know? So I already knew what was going on, how it was going to be. So when I got to the bank robbery conviction. And, and what's the, how can I, I found it yesterday. And again, ladies and gentlemen, everyone listening to us, all this stuff is in his book, all the paperwork from the jail cells that we'll talk about. Um, all, everything pretty much is in the book that you can find. Um, how can I find it on Google? I'm, I'm pulling up Google right now. I found it yesterday. Uh, what, what, what you would want to do is just, uh, you go to Amazon. No, not the book. The book, I got it up. The jail, When you were on the run for the, for the bank robbery. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're talking about the picture? Yeah, it's, it's actually in a book. I put it in the book uh, for people to understand. Like, when you rob a bank... What, was the, what people, was the bank that you robbed? It was called BBT Bank. BBNT Bank in, in, in Yorktown, Virginia. Yorktown. Yorktown, Virginia. All right, I'm looking it up right now. See if the... Uh, it popped up yesterday when I looked at it. Yeah. That was in 2008? No, that was in 1998. Oh, that was in 1998. Oh, yeah, that was yeah. out there, bro. Yeah. Oh, there was a couple bank robberies in that place, man. Yeah. It was serious. Uh, we wasn't playing no games either, you know? Yeah, I got to find it. It's in there, but it's in the book, guys. If you yeah. find this book, it's in the book. Um, yeah, so, yeah, keep telling us. So, you were getting charged. Yeah, you were getting charged for the shooting. Yeah. And you were getting charged for the bank robbery. Yeah, two different convictions. So, when I got to uh, the bank robbery, they actually gave me 58 years and he suspended 43 of those years, left me with 22 years to do. And you were 19. So, uh, excuse me, left me with 15 years to do. So the 15 with the seven equated to 22 years. Yeah, I was 19 years old. Whoa. Actually, I was about 21 years old at this time because I was fighting my cases and stuff like that. So when I was sentenced to the 22 years uh, from the bank robbery, I was actually about 21 years old. Wow, but you went in at 19 though. Yeah, I've been in there since I was 19. Since uh, I went in, I went in August 31st, 1998. That's that's crazy, man. That, that's young. And what did what did you think that day? What went through your mind, man? How'd you feel? Your knees go weak, man. I watch a lot of lockup. I watch a lot of these nah. court videos, and I see a lot of breakdowns. Some people that go, well, how did you feel? Like I said, I'm gonna be honest with y'all because this was this is about being raw and being real. At that particular time, I already knew I was going to prison. You know, I already knew the rules to the game that I was playing. So therefore, when I got sentenced, I just looked at it like, man, I ain't got life. Yeah. That's all I thought. I ain't got life. 
I said I could still see freedom. I'll still be somewhat able to maneuver. So I accepted it, you know? Yeah, yeah. So you you just and what was that 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 first day that you, you, you and I know you had already been fighting the case, but what was the feeling out when you got to the yard or you just got out after you really were sentenced? Where that day now that you knew your time, you know where this was you were gonna spend your time or whatever prison you landed in. Did things change for you or did you say, I'm gonna buckle up, it's time to get soldier style, tie the boots a little tighter and I'm gonna get to work and, and survive? Or what was your mindset at that time as a 20 year old man? Because you don't know shit at 20, bro. You don't really know nothing at 20 years old. Well, 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 you know, as far as jail goes, I knew a lot about jail, you know what I'm saying? Cause I was in juvenile like all my life. Yeah. So, you know, juvenile prepares you for man jail. That's what juveniles there for. They prepare you for man jail. And that's exactly what it did for me. Prepared me for man jail. So when I got there and I knew I had 20 years, 22 years to do and I was 21, light skin. I'm, I'm sure y'all heard the stories, light skin, pretty boy, guy, slim. I thought, you know, it was rapist, booty bandit, stuff like that in there. So the first thing I did was got the biggest gun I could find, which is a knife. Yeah, yeah, biggest yeah. And, and let's talk about that now. Let's get into talking about the jail time, you know, and yeah. how you spent your time because you love knives, man. Yeah, love you them. Fucking lo you love knives. And you know what was crazy to me? That you put all the reports on there. Everything was on there. Um, I do got a question about one and we'll get into one because I was like, yeah. me, me and the wife were talking about, I was like, oh yeah, that didn't come up to mind. But, yeah. you know, what was, because you be, you, you, then you had guys under you, you even started your own, your own dip set, your own crew, whatever yeah. you called it, you know, and yeah. you didn't even know that it was growing while you were in yeah. segregation. Yeah. While it was growing and your respect was growing the whole time and you didn't even really yeah. know. You was just in yeah. segregation. Um, yeah. What, was there a specific incident that changed that for you that 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 made you all right this is how i'm gonna do it or like you said it was just from the beginning i'm gonna carry a knife i'm gonna do what i gotta do and what yeah. was the first time that 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 you really got either got into your first fight let's start with the fights or like the first like when you said you had the one of the um the the white gentleman that you just you guys put hands on a little bit and why yeah. did you keep him under your, your bed? Like, tell me a little bit of those first ones there that yeah. we're talking about now. Well, actually, like, when I first went to jail, like I said, I was involved with gangs. I was involved with whatever you could be involved with in jail because I was in there, right? So off top, I was fighting. I trained to fight them from Brownsville. That's what we do. We get beat up by our big brothers, get beat up by our big sisters, and we learn to take that to the streets. You feel me? So I took yeah. it to jail with me. I took my show on the road. So fighting was not for me. I had no problem with that, you know? So uh, my first fight, I would say, like, I I think we have a little malfunction here. So he tried to take my trade. Uh, hey, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Go back a bit because you cut off on me. Okay. Yeah, your well, internet. It said your internet was. Uh, your internet cut off on me for it, a little bit. Is is it cool now? <laughs> Yep, now you're good. I'm gonna start recording again. All right. All right, go ahead, you're good now. So yeah, you know, actually like, you know, so he was real way bigger than me, one of them Harley Davidson, big long ponytail, scrubby bed, pot belly, 
300 pounds. He just knew he was going to crush me. I want your tray. Give me your tray is what he tells me, right? So in my mind, I'm like, man, I'm not giving this dude my tray. I'm already skinny. I'm hungry as hell. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, first thing I did was, boom, first reaction was mop ringer. You know the mop ringer that you do this with? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, mop ring across his forehead. You know what I mean? That's what had to happen because at that time I was new in jail. I had to make sure everybody knew I was playing for keeps because at the end of the day, everything you do is being recorded by the eyes of the inmates, the predators, those who come to get you if they see any weaknesses. And I couldn't show any weaknesses. Yeah, for sure. So therefore, I gave him what he deserved and what yeah. he asked for. And, and he was day, he was in another was he in another gang protected or he was just like a random nah, dude? It wasn't really nothing. This was in a jail, you know. In jail, you really the the gang stuff don't really go too much in a jail like that. I mean, you know, because jail is kind of sectioned off how it is. The gang lifestyle really goes on in the penal system. When you yeah, get yeah, there. yeah. You know, it's different. Jail and prison is two different things. You know what I mean? And. And you know, just that part where you're in the book, is that the same guy that you had, you had kept under your bunk? Oh, no, nah, the guy that we kept under my bunk, what happened with that was, he was, uh, he had the same name as one of my guys then, my guy Red, you know? Red is actually from Brooklyn too, you know? So me and Red was in this prison called Lawrenceville, which is in Virginia. We was there one day, like I said, I'm new in prison. I only been at this prison five months. This is the first institution. And what prison was that? I'm gonna look it up so I could I could put it right here. Up. It's called it's called Lawrenceville. It's called Lawrenceville. Yeah, it's a CCA. It's in Lawrenceville, Virginia. It's called Lawrenceville uh, Prison. So I and was how there. long did you spend in Lawrenceville? I didn't make it too long after what happened to this guy. <laughs> and what's what it called, Lawrenceville? Guy, they emergency transferred me out of there. But what I about to tell you what happened to him? Yeah, go ahead, too. So he had the same name as my guy, you know. And we kept returning the mail because he got the same name. So every time the CO give us his mail, he'll return the mail. He'll return me like, this is not mine. This is not mine. So like the fourth time, my guy said, you know what? I'm going to open this. So when he opened up the mail, it was a rival gang type of thing. You know, dude was Xing things out and stuff like that. So we went and go see him and stuff like that. You know, we young. You know how I go. We in penitentiary doing a lot of time. We got to make sure people understand what's going on with us. So we go in there. We catch him out. Like, hey, this you? He's like, yeah, this is me. We wind up beating him down, beating him with the foot locker. For those who don't know what a foot locker is, that's something that you put your shoes in. You know, you put your commissary, yeah, yeah. your property, things like that, you know. So we wind up beating him with that, tied him up, threw him under the bed. What's crazy is this. Like, it was emergency count this day. So... We all on the yard, they scream on the on the loudspeaker, emergency count for those who haven't been to prison before. No, like emergency count, that happens all the time. They'll just tell you to count because somebody could be missing or anything like that. So when they went to go do emergency count, they went to go look for this guy in his cell, they couldn't find him. So they doing enough emergency count because they looking for another inmate, where he at? So yeah. when they go around, cell to cell, they have to go in my cell and see him tied up unconscious under oh, my Oh, because you were in the process of giving him an ass whooping. We already whipped his ass. We and just we had, we had to make sure that we didn't want to just pull him out the cell with the correctional officers out there. You know what I'm saying? On see us, we was trying to get away with it. You know, yeah, yeah. But they called the emergency count, and when they came, by the time we could get his body out my cell, they found him. And what, what, when was the and when was the first time you know that you witnessed, you know that you witnessed the killing, man? That you actually seen like your first prison? prison. Yeah, yeah, your first one. Well, actually, 
What's crazy about this story right here, y'all, and this is a real personal story to me, and I don't really speak about it too much, but I'm going to speak about it. And which um, prison was this in? Huh? And which, which prison was this in? I, this was at a prison called Sussex, Sussex 1. And where was Sussex 1 at? That's in Virginia. And it's, called, and it's a prison? Yeah, yeah, I was actually there. Every prison I speak of, I was there. Uh, Sussex 1, actually, what happened was my guy... He had got into a fight with his uh, cell partners, like his roommate. He wound up beating his roommate up. And ironically, you know, his roommate wound up killing him that night. And I was able to see from my cell. So they got into a fight earlier that day. Yes, they got into a fight earlier day. And my guy from Brooklyn, Brownsville, he was also in Virginia. He wound up beating his you know, cell partner up. You're never supposed to live with a person after you fight him. No, no, general, of course not. For those not. who don't know that. You'll never lock in with a guy after you ambush. I think that's common him. sense, bro. I think that's common sense. <laughs> yeah, he wound up locking in the cell with him. It was nothing I could do about it. It was nothing nobody could do about it. I could see him through the door, and this guy was choking my guy to death. And that was the first murder I seen in prison, which was actually my friend. So he you choked know? him to death. He tied choked something around his neck. Choked him to death. Killed him. Pulled his pants down. Put his face in the toilet bowl, and just embarrassed him. Yeah. Wow. He was three years old. We was all in the 20s. I was 21 or something And you're like just that. watching this from your jail cell. Watching it from my window. And the guy, any noise from the guy dying? Anything? Was he trying? Well, I didn't know what was going on at first until I heard the noise. And that's what made me get up. But I knew that they got into it earlier that day. And I told him, don't live in that cell with that dude. Was the name? What was the name? Do you know their name? Oh, my God. His name was, you talking like their real names? Was it Frank Reed? This was back in, I say, about 2000 and... Three. This happened in uh, 2003. Yeah, they had a lot of killings at that jail. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, went, I, I was actually in it. I witnessed so many killings, man. I'm, so that one, man. But that that's your... You knew this guy. And yeah, when he's strangling him, do you hear your, your guy, like, gasping for air? Is he trying to live? Or what's going on? Like, Well, everybody from Brownsville, where I'm from, know who, who I'm talking about when I say corrupt, right? You know what I mean? And um, what happened was when I actually heard him screaming... That's when he was dying. Yeah. You know, it was early in the morning, like two, three in the morning. He just took his life from just like that. 23 years old. And he was screaming. Yeah, he screamed. That's what made me hurt him. That's why that's how I was aware. of. What do you do, man? That situation. Do you yell? I mean, will you just sit there and wait? Just there's nothing you could do because we locked in the whole unit where no correctional office is there because we on lockdown. You know what I'm saying? We locked in the cell. So they make. Perimeter checks every fifteen to thirty minutes. And what the fuck does he? What did he do after he your guy? I mean, after he stripped him, what did he do? He just sat there and waited. He just sat there, pulled his pants down, and he, he pulled my guy pants down, embarrassed him. He didn't have sex with him, and I'm like, they just pulled his pants down and put his face in the toilet. So when the correctional officers walked in, his ass was out. You know what I mean? Yeah, like that. yeah, yeah. And then like, this guy, and then this guy ended up getting put in the hall, and you ain't you ain't seen him. Again. Oh yeah, he wanted. He had a lot of issues after that. That guy, who, he 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 went to. You know, when you kill somebody in prison, usually you're gonna do a lot of time in segregation. You know what I mean? Whether they charge you with it, you know, or not, you still yeah. gonna go to the hole, which is segregation. So what was you know when what. You know, and I'm, I'm sure you've seen a lot of killings at that jail. Yeah. You kind of slowly it just became normal. Yeah. Well, and like I, I said, a lot of suicides I too. already like that. I already came to jail. Like I said, New York City is like jail. So it wasn't really no difference. That's why, like, people have to realize, look at the areas we come from. They have barbed wire. They have cops walking around. It looks just like jail. 
So when you go to jail, it's like you're just in your neighborhood because you see your homeboys in your neighborhood from the jail. Yeah. It's like it's like a family reunion. That's why so many guys is comfortable there because everybody they know is there. I never thought about that when you, you know when you talk about the point that if, should we take out more police? I never thought about that. The more police, yeah. the more it feels like like jail. Um, and then here I got some. Uh, you know, I, I want to read here, and I don't know when this happened. I got a couple. Yeah. Of, I want to go through here because we're gonna go for another twenty minutes. Yeah. Um, and I just want to read this, and I want to know what. Uh, I, I want to know what you thought were thinking when this was happening. All right. So it says, while on the way to segregation, I see some some, and this was when you went to the jail in Virginia, where it was real racist, and you were saying yeah. that uh, what jail was I, that? The onion, that was the onion, yeah, the red onion, where everybody was racist as fuck. Yes, everybody. And, um, so it, it says, yeah, yeah, yeah. It says, while on my way to segregation, I seen some white pigs dragging a big black dude butt naked down the hall. He was beat badly and beat dragged. It fucked me up psychologically. And I realized that this demonic hillbilly meant business. That fucked me up when I read that because I was like, damn, that's how, that's the vision that it was a demonic hillbilly. Yeah, business. Either you do what the fuck they say or get your ass beat, maybe even a death. At this time, the Red Onion prisoner officers were responsible for killing several black Hispanic prisoners. Damn. Yep. So, I mean, no doubt. What was what was your thought when you seen not just when you seen that guy getting dragged out? Had you killed all not killed? Had you stabbed someone already at the time? Oh yeah, I, I, I stabbed the, the first time I stabbed somebody. It was like the first year I was in prison, jail, in county jail. I, I I started stabbing people from the beginning of my time in jail. So how did you, man? Because you got lucky with a lot of stuff. You know, you got lucky with a lot of a lot of stabbings, and yeah. uh, like, how, how do they do it in prison? Because a lot of times you were throwing a shank, right? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I see. You know, when you when you when you go to when you're in prison for a long period of time, right? you become what they say an expert, right? Because you've been there, yeah. lived there, you inhale, exhale, jail. So yeah. with that being said, as I matured and grew in prison, I started learning the rules about prison and how they uh, deal with you as far as the disciplinary aspect of it, right? And what I came to realize is if you do something to somebody and you get rid of the weapon and they don't have it on you or in your vicinity, yeah. They would pull the case out. See what I'm saying? And I had yeah, to learn yeah. that trial and error just because one time I had stabbed somebody and they was trying to send me to a whole nother prison that I wasn't trying to go to. So what happened was I had to learn the rules so I could beat the case. Yeah. And um, because I got a couple of notes, I'm going to just jump around, man, because I, I want to talk about the guy that the guy that wouldn't stop making noise. But we'll go back to that in a little bit. I got another one that I want to read here because I want to Go know. Rest. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit because I'll leave that for the end because I think that's pretty cool uh, for the circumstances that y'all was in. Um, but, so this one right here, I was like, you know, I just thought about it because it became so normal for you to just stab a motherfucker. Like it was like eating cereal, you know what I mean? And the way that you yeah. spoke about it right here, it says, and this is, uh, again, guys, yeah. from his book, um, From the Sandbox to the Cell Block, it says, knife in my hand, I ran straight up to Romeo, loudmouth cat, stabbed him directly in his back. I put the knife so deep in his back, his bitch ass ran, and I had to chase him to get my knife uh, to get my knife back out of his flesh. It says his crow, his whole crew left him for dead, running all types of directions. Going out because it's snowing out here, y'all. Trying to get Hello? away. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Can you see me, bro? Yep, I see you. 
Yeah, there's a lot of snowstorms, so I know it's affecting some of the signal. There you go. You be back. Hello. Yep, I hear you. What about Look. Yeah, I hear you. you see sir. me? Yeah, I, it's not moving, but if you want, we can just keep talking. It'll come back. There's a snowstorm out here, brother. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. Don't worry about it. There you go. You're coming back slowly. So here, I just keep going. Um, it says, and I'll go back to this spot here. And this is when you stabbed the guy and you said he, his knife was so deep in his flesh and he took off running and you have to go back to get it. It says uh, his yeah. whole crew, his whole crew left him for dead, running in all types of directions, trying to get away from the madman with the knife. <laughs> Me, when he fell to the ground, I tried to finish him off by stabbing him in the chest, right in his fucking heart. He put his yeah. hands up and the knife went to his hand. I ran off after that. So yeah. you're on top of this guy. You're about to stab this guy, and yeah. the knife goes in his hand. Yeah, right through it. You leave yeah. the knife in the hand. You took off, took the pull the knife off. You took off running. Yeah. See what happened was this. Uh, Tell me I every so second, man, what you were thinking, even how it felt to it really put the knife in there. See, at that time, I already didn't care about stabbing this. I was already desensitized. I didn't give a fuck. You feel me? So at that time, you have to understand when the guy told me that these dudes was going to do something to me, I was already in prison for a yeah. long period of time to know how it worked, right? So I knew boldness. You have to be bold. When you do things bold, people are caught off guard, right? And then you can maneuver and strategically conquer your enemy and that's what I did. I stepped to him because he didn't know that I was on him because they were supposed to get me. So when I seen what was going on, I went in the cage with him, I seen they really wasn't like serious. As How many serious was it? How many guys was it? It was about 10 of them. And you just went in with the shank, but they weren't I ready. went in there with a, a shank like this that I got from one of my guys from Cali. He gave me the shank, I went in there, Posted up, waited on them. They ain't do nothing. I, they called Rack because you know at, at this prison I'm talking about. Yeah, because in the book, in the book you say that you thought they forgot to attack you. Yeah, I thought they forgot. Like I, you know, I, I mean, I knew they were supposed to do it because it was certain signs and certain things that happened before that that I knew we had a problem. You know what I'm saying? You feel yeah. Me? So, so when I went in there and they walked out, I'm like, oh no, I ain't gonna let this slide. You know, they might get me later. You know what I mean? So I'm gonna get them now. So I wind up stabbing the dude Romeo in his back. He runs. And the rest of these guys scatter with him because he's they tough guy. So when he runs, you know, they all run and he runs and I have to chase behind him to get my knife out of his back. Because you, he was so that, like that. The, sh the shank was on his back stuck? Yeah, it was stuck. I stabbed him that bad. I stabbed him so deep that it got stuck in his back. And so when he, and you had to pull it out? I had to I had to chase him to pull it out. I had to chase him to get my knife back. Jeez. And I mean, what, what, when you pulled it out, the blood come out, did it feel hard to pull out? It was just... No, I was waiting. I was trying to get the next one. So you think that after a while, it just became like something that you enjoyed doing or is it something you felt like you needed no, to do? No, I didn't, I didn't enjoy doing it. You know what I mean? I just got to the point in my life that survival was by any means necessary with me. I'm yeah. going to make it out of here. Yeah, no matter what. Point blank. And that's yeah, how I looked at it. You yeah. or me. And I ain't going out like that. So that's how I looked at it. So it wasn't so much of an enjoyment. It was more so of a, yo, I don't know you gotta what you got to do. Tell me a little bit of some, tell me the time. You got about 15 more minutes. Tell me about the, like the time during segregation, you know, that you're locked down for so long. Yeah. Um, you know, you stabbed all these people already. 
Yeah. Um, I'm sure you have enemies in the jail, yeah. some sort of enemies, even though yeah, you, yeah. you even though you grew apart. A, a you were with the yeah. Bloods, right? Yeah. You were with a, with a branch of them. And then yeah. you started going, and I know you had your team and there was people behind you. Um, yeah. What is that feeling of being in segregation, man, locked up for so long, bro? Because what was the longest you did in segregation? Five years. I did five years in segregation. After I'd stabbed the guy we were just talking about, I went to the hole for five years for that. Please not forget that part. Me stabbing that man put me in segregation for five years. 23 hour lockdown. 23 hours in lockdown at Red Angus State Prison. And I even had tickets in the book uh, showing yeah. me actually stabbing people at Red Onion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've seen those. And, um, you know, because a big thing that I want people to get out of this is just the whole mental health and how we have to take care of ourselves when yeah. it comes to all of our trauma, even people that haven't been locked up, you know, people that have lost family yeah. members, people in the streets. Um, you, you you spoke about this, this this thing in the book and you were talking about this guy that you've seen him go crazy. Yeah. Um, that, that when you walked in, he was, he had all this shit on him. Yeah. And, you know, explain to me a little bit, describe that a little bit. And how did you prevent that from happening to you or did it happen to you? Well, it was doing a little D. He, 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 that's who he's talking about. Y'all little D was a guy from Portsmouth, Virginia. He was young like me. I had seen him and was cool with him. He had all the ladies, y'all, all the family members supported him. All that he was right in his mind. He was cool. I wound up leaving Red Onion State Prison to go to Sussex. He lost his mind. And when I came back within the six months, I left Red Onion, left Sussex, came back six months, and I seen him, and I ain't seen him for about a year, I see around that time. And when I seen him, he had called my name through the door and asked me, did I have my wave cap on because there's bees in the vent? And I thought he was playing, because you know in segregation. Oh, so that was, so yeah, I read so, that. Yeah, I thought he was playing. But he told you that through, he told you that through the little cell? Yeah, because we could see each other through the door. You know, the way it is, it's like, it's just like a bunch of cells next door to each other. You can look out your window and look at each other. You can talk through the door. And, and like, that day he said, put, put, put your do-rag on. Yeah, he told me to put my do-rag on because it was bees in the vent and all that. So I didn't know they were trying to take control of my mind. And I, I thought he was playing because, like I said, I, I know him, you know. And then he told me one night, the same night, to cover up my toilet because his voice is in the toilet telling him to kill himself. So I'm thought he, I'm really thinking he's tripping now. So the next morning, I realized that when they called us for shower, he didn't come out for a shower. So, you know, I'm like, man. You know, then I look in his cell, I see a whole bunch of food on the ground. He pulled his hair out, doodle smeared all his hair out, doodle all on him. Yeah, he lost his mom and lost his mind. And that's what happens when you're in the prison walls, segregation housing units. People don't tell you. He wasn't, he wasn't dead, though? No, he wasn't dead. He just was mentally dead, you know? And what happened to him after that? What did the jail prison do after that? They did nothing to him. They just treated him like a, like he was nobody. They, they, they clean him up? Did he they talk to psychologists? I he probably sent somebody to his door just to make it look good. But other than that, they-, they Just they, to they, sign the clipboard. What they should have did was send it to some type of mental health. Exactly. Uh, institution where they can deal with him and treat him and he didn't even have that much time left y'all wow so this is this is something that happens that they people don't tell you about that happens all the time people wither away and they lose their mind they lose their whole personality their character being stuck in them segregation walls for years and years and years and years and years that's what happens yeah that's fucking crazy man and whatever happened to him uh, I haven't heard nothing from him because that was like years ago. I haven't seen nothing from him, but it just stuck with me because I seen what happened to him and I seen how. And how did you? How did, 
How did you prevent from you losing your mind like that? Or did you lose your mind at a point? What was the point where you were like, I'm about to lose it? Were you hearing voices? I mean, well, what kept you from, from going like that? Man, that's five years in segregation. That's a long time. Yeah. Well, I'm going to be honest with y'all, right? And, you know, because that's what we're doing. It's been times where I found myself talking to myself and reminding myself that I have an opportunity to be a better person when I get on the streets, right? And things like that, having imagination, being able to vividly see myself in my Mercedes Benz or vividly see myself walking out the gate or vividly seeing myself teaching somebody about what's going on behind these walls. Those are the things that kept me yeah. strong, honestly, man. And read, and I read a lot, then I would exercise. And I read books like that would, you know, that would stick with me, like knowledgeable Because things. that's one thing we didn't really talk, talk about. You became a Muslim kind of right away when you got into the prison system. Yeah, yeah. Is that, I, is that something that you, because man, you didn't, there's a lot, and you know, this was short, we'll, we'll get into the more details another day. You ended up getting married right away. You yeah. became a Muslim, you know, that didn't work out for a while. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of crazy, and, and just to, so we can touch, we got a couple more minutes. That experience you had, man, that's crazy. If you guys haven't read the book, read the book, the experience you have with the DC shooter, and how yeah. you, that was insane. I don't think you put too much of that in the book. I got oh, that from I have, the YouTube. I have three books. I have, I, have, I have a trilogy. I have this book that I put out that's in Amazon right now from the sandbox to the cell block. And then I have another book that's coming out from the bus stop to the drop top, which comes out next, which uh, depicts all of those different things. See the like, first tell, book. I mean, tell me stuff. a little bit about that. So you actually met the, the, the DC shooter. Yeah. You spoke to this man. I, I met both of them. Well, actually, I was in the prison. Like, I was at, at Sussex. And what happened was, when this happened, him killing everybody in D.C. and Maryland and Virginia and things like that, I seen it on the news. A couple years later, I happened to see him in the prison. They shut the prison down one day, the D.A., F.B.I., C.I.A., and they whooped Johnny Muhammad inside this prison with dogs and all like the serial killer. Vest. Yeah, the serial, the D.C. sniper. So I look at him, and then they lock us down. But I work as a maintenance man, so I walk around a prison. So I happened to go to death row one day. Well, I always go over there. But I went over there this, this day, and I look inside his cell, and I see all these autopsy pictures, a whole bunch of murders. What? Yeah, yeah, he had a whole bunch of autopsy pictures of all these different murders just laying on the ground. He never took showers. He never talked to nobody unless you was a Muslim. If you was a Muslim and you greeted him like, alaikum, he would talk to you, right? He would talk to you, but it would be vague and, you know, things like that. He was serious, man. That dude did not play no games. That yeah. dude, nobody fucked with him. Nobody fucked with Johnny Muhammad. Do you hear me? He's do kickboxing shit. Man, dude was serious, and man. he was by himself all the time. Yeah, because he was in death row, you know, in death row, you, you know, I mean, well, in Virginia, actually, I'm going to tell y'all a crazy story, y'all. In Virginia, on death row, they let all the death row inmates come out together and play cards and stuff like that together, y'all. That's crazy, man. In death row. Go look it up. I'm not lying to y'all. They get day room time. But, uh, yeah, he never really came out of cell that much, only to go to rank. But then I met Malvo, because they wind up killing Johnny Muhammad in 2009. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fast. They killed him. They didn't even wait. That's the fastest murder I've ever seen. When I wind up meeting Malvo, uh, when he was young, he came to prison with eight light sentences to Red Onion, where he still is right now. He's been there. Oh, he's still there. Yeah, he's been there for the last 17, 18 and years. And Malvo was his, uh, I don't think if it was his son, I think it was just nah, the that, was, that was with him. Yeah, that was his girlfriend's son. It was actually uh, Johnny Muhammad's girlfriend's son. He 
took them from Jamaica or Ghana, wherever they was in Africa somewhere, brought them to America. They wound up killing like 13 to 14. And I'm just, I'm just pulling up a picture here for, for yeah, everyone. He actually here. just got married to a millionaire. Malvo, married a millionaire, y'all. Huh. Isn't that great? With eight life sentences, he got eight life sentences. He's married to a millionaire. Yeah, and I'm just sharing that screen. I'm sure you can see it now. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. See it? Yeah, that's him right there. So Malvo was this one, huh? Malvo was a little one right there. You see with the green? That's him older now. That's him as he is right now as an older guy. Uh, the one down there is him when he was younger. But this one right here is when he's older. That's what he looks like right now. Yeah, you that's see him crazy. And that's where I was at with him at Red Onion. I, how old was he when you met him, Malvo, the, the kid? When I met him, he was real young. He probably was early 20s like that. And I'm going to tell you something. He's, he's a creative. He's a phenomenal artist. He could draw anything. He's like, he's like, man, that guy can draw. And he's great at chess. He can play Bro, chess. and he married that lady, that millionaire yeah. lady. That's what I'm trying to tell y'all. He married a millionaire. He did. And he's in jail still. He's married a millionaire in jail. With eight life sentences, y'all tell yeah, me. But like, hey, but like you said, what can he do? Buy extra pots and noodles and, and fucking extra soup? tuna fish, you know? Chips and so, shit. Yeah, so when I met him, he was real feminine. That's why I thought he was like, you know, I have no uh, nothing against uh, homosexuals or anything like, yeah, that, yeah. like that. But I thought he was that. And yeah. a lot of people thought he was because he was real feminine and stuff like that. So they used that to like get out of his case, like saying guy was molesting them and things like that. But, um, he, he still there. He's been in segregation for 17 years. I used to talk to him all the time. I asked him why he why they killed all them people. He said yeah. they killed all them people because they were trying to kill Johnny Muhammad's wife because she took child support on him. <laughs> what? That's crazy, man. That's crazy. Here, let me read. Let me read let me another one here. Let me read another yeah. one. Okay. No doubt. Uh, let me see. Uh, and then you had a part here where you had, in just a little, so we can touch a little bit on this. And just so we can, because you did a lot of stabbings, man. You did a lot of shootings. And yeah. and, and I'll ask you later, because I want to know, is there any regrets or things you, you shouldn't have? But here, you, this yeah. is when you kind of, it says, I submerged myself in the teachings of the many rebels of the past and present. I began passing these very, these very books out to members of my set. It became mandatory that they all read George Jackson, Huey P. Newton's Revolutionary Suicide, and Mayo's Little Red Books. I was changing the set into a vanguard, a nation with legitimate cause. But as you know, with the righteousness comes hatred. So did it happen to you what happens in the street? And as soon as you try to help the team out and put them on to something new, the, the dumb ones and the other ones that don't want to change came in and put the pressure like, nah, man, that's not how we do things. Oh, and no, it didn't happen like that. What happened was more so like, you know, because I was I was my own boss, you know, so yeah. it was like nothing you could really do. I only answered the people that was higher than me. You know what I mean? So uh, what happened was, you know, when you, when you change your way of thinking and you take a gang or a street movement, right? And you try to inseminate education as far as LLCs, as far as owning your own patterns, your own logos, owning your image, you know, incorporating education as far as putting the little members in school, making sure that we can have people in position that in case we do get in some type of trouble, we have people that could help us, yeah. right? But the gangs don't think like that, unfortunately, which they should because gangs been here forever and it's kind of hard for them to go away. So it's kind of hard to say, hey, stop gangbanging, whatever. But what you could do is try to change the way they see things and incorporate business because I'm sure if gangs knew other ways to make money, they would do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And then, okay, so I got one more. We got about 10 minutes and then, and then yeah. I got a couple more, one more here that I'll read. So I want to yeah. Afternoon. 
This one right here, it says, uh, not program, you go back with one way. It says, um, and this was the whole story behind it. I'll just cut to the point. It says, I said in a very calm voice, you sure you want to fight me, brother? Using the art war on this clown. He then called me a bitch and I quickly pulled the ice pick out and stabbed him five times in the face and in front of everybody. Yeah. Uh, and at this time it all went the way. It was this afternoon. I owe this dude, I owe this dude $2 for a bet. Yeah, $2. I took yeah. the New York Giants. All right, so that's the story. He didn't know what had had this yeah. ice pick in my pocket. So I asked the stupid motherfucker, was he trying, what was he saying? Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. I said, I did this so fast that people actually thought that I was punching him. Yeah. You know, and the pigs never saw the knife. So you stabbed this guy five times. I read the report. You had the report yeah. in the book. If you guys want to read the report yeah. on this. Um, you punched this guy. Well, they think you're punching him five times. You stabbed him. He's got holes in his face. Yeah. Um, you know, explain the situation, and 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 you know, and the crazy thing is that that's what I want some of these young people to understand that that two dollars was big in there. You know, it's yeah. like a like a bag of chips or a bag of noodles. It's a big deal in there. Yeah, that, it's big. It's big. You know, big, and, big. and 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 do you think about it now as a man that's out of jail and now, you know, you can do these things every day, and, I, and I'm sure you you're gonna have a lot more money. You're gonna do, or it's just it was survival, and you did what you had to do. You was in the trenches. Yeah. You know, tell me about that situation where you where you did stab the guy the five times with the with the. Yeah. I, well, at that time, I I was already like active with that. That's just how I was coming. I didn't believe really, I fight, but I was taught that if you want the problem to go away, you do damage, right? How the hell not did you keep these knives and never get not get caught with them like that? Uh, well, if you look at my report, I got caught with I got caught with a couple of them. You know what I mean? I've been caught with them. You know, but in prison, they don't care about stuff like that, man. As long as you don't kill somebody, they don't care. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but with the guy, he actually was the type of guy that didn't really want what he got coming to him, right? You know what I'm saying? But he was trying to put on a show for everybody. So I stabbed him in his face quite a few times, you know, just to let people know, hey, I'm not playing for one yeah. and for two. I want to make sure that they realize that I'm here and I'm playing for keeps, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's how that went down. So now, but, how did how did what, what how did people react to that? Oh uh, well at that time they already knew me by now. You know, they already it, it was just like, oh, he did it again. <laughs> it was like really like that's how it really was, you know what I mean? And like I said, I wanna I wanna stress this though to the people out there. Like the things I was doing in prison and the things I was doing before I came to prison was things that I was taught. And when I got in prison, I had to survive and I had to continue doing what I was doing because I was already in it. It was in the turning back, you know? So uh, I want people to realize that these are the things you have to go through in prison. That's why we talking about these things. Yeah, for so sure. Some these are real life things. Real life stuff. And I'm telling the little young dudes out there, man, I know y'all tough and I know y'all strong and I know you know you ain't going for nothing, you gangster and all that stuff. But in there is always, you know, uh, a lot more bigger gangsters than you. Just realize that. And, you know, the way about it is just be you, man. You ain't got to yeah. prove nobody. And, you know, if you guys want to read a little bit more, if you want to know a little bit more, read the book. He's got a couple more books coming out that you can check out. Um, and I, I want to get into a different, because, again, man, going back to where they say some people can't be rehabilitated. Yeah. Some people can't do this. I, I, again, man, I, there was parts in the book and I was like, man, you know, this dude got all these people got a heart, even though these people start. And, and I like this part. And, and I'll read it real quick. It said, when everybody turns their back on the men and women that's held in bondage, the very woman who gave us life is always the last one standing. A lot of us don't appreciate the value of our mothers while on the streets until we come here. And we realize that our unconditional love cannot be measured with words. The mothers of our incarcerated stand with us through this brutal, painful psychological torture that we endure on daily basis, regardless of what we did come here 
or how we mistreated them when we were out there. So okay. I just want to hear a little bit more on that part, how it affected, because, you know, you were the one that locked up. You went through all that, but I'm sure your mom was out here suffering. Yeah. Your mom yeah. went I'm sure that a lot of times your mom, even though she couldn't all the time, did help you with certain things. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, you know, how was it for her and how did you feel, you know, because I know you after when you're in there, I guess you close out the feelings. But just tell me a little bit how was experience of her and how did it help you having mom support just for a lot of the young homies that will be listening to this shit that still yeah. be thinking that moms don't know what she's talking about or mom's just trying to control me. You know, yeah. what I mean, how did, shit. That affect shit. how did it help you? This real shit, though, yo, for y'all out there, man, whether you're a child, man, because anybody could go through this, man, you know what I mean? And I want y'all to know this, like, yo, when I went to jail, I thought my mom's ain't no shit. Oh, da 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 And kind of find out everything she told me when I was young is true now as a grown-up, right? So I wanted to talk about that chapter about our moms being there for us because a lot of the times we don't show no respect. We don't appreciate them. We disrespect them. We don't even like take them out and let them know that we care about them because they gave us life, right? Until we're in a situation like prison when you realize when all your friends ain't there, all your gang buddies ain't there, and all your girlfriends ain't there if you, you know, have a girlfriend, the only person that's going to be there for you is your mama. So remember when you cursing at her Remember when you disrespecting her? Remember when you saying all that foul stuff to her? You wish she was dead and all that stuff? No, you really don't. Because guess what? You're going to need her the most one day. Just remember that. And that's why I wrote that. That's why I wrote that. Because our moms, and I seen every other guy moms in prison when I was in there was the ones who was there for them. Don't get it twisted. You got some good women that was by yeah, us yeah, too. But a lot of it was the moms. Most times it's the mothers. When, even when a girl's bell. Your mother is there for you, you know. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah, that's important, the truth, man. Be, that's important. You know, the reason I think that's important is because, I and you, and I'm sure because you've been through all this, and yeah, and a lot of people that have, it's support most of the time, man. If you got yeah. that right support, you can, you can, you can really make something happen, man. It's just, sure. you think that uh, your dad not being there that really affected you from the beginning? Uh I, I didn't really. I wouldn't say that because I didn't really, unless it did unconsciously, you know, yeah. some things can happen to you without you really knowing it or being aware of it. Yeah. So I wouldn't say so much that I didn't really think, I blocked that out as a young age because I didn't think of it. One thing about me, I realized about myself now, I, I can control it now, but back then I didn't, which was I was able to numb myself to things and just keep it moving, like had no feelings and that's crazy, right? But that's how it was. Huh? No conscience. Yeah, I, I didn't have that. That that whole concept was removed from my mind. Therefore, I didn't really think about this or that. Actually, what helped me in my mom relationship, because I'm way more cooler with it, with it right now. I love her to death. Like me and her is like tight, right? Yeah. But before then, what happened was like being that I used to run away all the time and stuff like that. And I was always in jail. Yeah. Me being incarcerated was someone like me being rescued to her, right? Cause she knew where I was and that's sad, but she knew where I was. She and, knew and, where I was. and so, so you, I mean, cause you had a good mom, your stepdad yeah. was there. Do you think that because you were, and I think it's a lot of belief as a person, as a caseworker, and I work with yeah. a lot of people, yeah. ages, I think that the crack era affected a lot of, a lot of families, not just yes, one generation, but a lot of generations because if you were adult in that generation of the crack era, whereas Milwaukee was in New York, it was a lot of black folks and brown folks that were affected by this. And those people had kids. Yes. And 
even if they weren't using them, the people that live in that area were kids, which you were one of them. No doubt. You know what I mean? And I think I'm that um, we was all affected by it because our friends' mothers was on drugs or our friends' fathers or our families was on drugs. You know what I'm saying? So I was around that all the time. You know, I seen that all the so time. So even if you had your daddy around and you were out there, then... I, I can't say that because he was a, a firm person. Like, he had, he was stern and he yeah. didn't play any games. You know what I'm saying? So I can't sit here and say, hey, I don't do Because Pops ain't play no games from what I know of him. Slick, and yeah. the stories I heard about it, he would have been on top of me, right? But, like I said... What happens is when we have stepfathers and stuff like that, most yeah. of the time when they come to our mothers and stuff like that, they not really interested in us as much as they is our mothers. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's only later on in life they figure out if you're cool or if they like you or hopefully you just happen to have a good stepdad that cares, you know? Yeah, we got... Mine's kid, by the way, though. Mine's kid, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. And, and, and we got about five minutes and I got a couple of things that we can wrap it up. Okay. Um, uh, another thing that I want to just bring up because you talk all about it in the book is about Stockholm syndrome. Yeah. And just what do you think about that? Because I want, I know you really feel strongly about that. So I want this to be a platform that you talk about that maybe some social worker or caseworker or someone can tune in and be like, let's look into this. I know people do, but what do you think? Why do you feel about that? Well, I wrote about the Stockholm syndrome because when I was incarcerated for them 22 years, I seen individuals come in and out of prison four, five, six, seven, eight times. And I couldn't figure out what was inside this penitentiary that they was coming back for? Like, there's nothing really in here for you to come back for, you know? So why are you coming back four, five, six, seven, eight times? So that's when I came to the realization about the Stockholm Syndrome, which was something that Patty Hearst used. For those who don't know about Patty Hearst, um, go look her up. And she used the Stockholm Syndrome as a defense to get out of prison. And what the Stockholm Syndrome is, is when you fall in love with the very people who captured you. So for example, if you go to jail, once or two times, and you know these are the people that you don't want to be around, you know you don't want to be in jail, you know you don't have nothing to do with the cops, you know you don't have nothing to do with any type of law enforcement whatsoever, right? But why do you keep going back to jail then? That's the yeah. question. And that's what the Stockholm Syndrome is all about. What happens is a lot of guys who was younger, who had basketball skills or fighting skills or all these different dreams when they was younger, and they didn't make it, what happens is they find themselves in prison. Right. And those are the guys who got the skills in prison who could fight. And if you got skills in prison, you're the man. But guess what? That doesn't equate to nothing yeah. in reality. Yeah. So that's what the Stockholm syndrome is. And a lot of people suffer from it. They go back and forth from prison because once you get in there, you have no responsibilities anymore. Exactly. There's yeah, no like, like you like you saw and he's got a YouTube channel too. What's your YouTube channel? Can you give it out real quick? Uh, my, my YouTube station is called No Comrades Left Behind TV. No you talk about it a little bit on there too, which is interesting. I also love the footage um, that you show with some of the guys, and I'll yeah. pull some of it up right now too. With yeah, it's raw, guys. man. And it's say it one more time. The name of the the. It's the name called of the No Comrades Left Behind, right? No Comrades Left Behind TV, and it's raw footage, it's raw stories, it's real truth about what goes on inside the prison industrial complex, which is the prison system. It's also real stories about dudes going to war. It's going to be multiple more stories about wars. It's going to be multiple stories about mental health because a lot of us suffer from mental health. And instead of putting us in prisons, they should put us in these mental health facilities, which would be, you know, which would minimize the mass incarceration that's going on. Yeah, and I got, and right now I got a, um, I got a clip here 
I got a clip of you that you're showing with some of the guys locked up. And I just like how you're sarcastic with the iPad. And you're like, look at the YouTube. Yeah. I think it's shit cool, right? I wanted them, I wanted people to really see, you know, the reality, the raw reality of people doing life sentences in there. I did, I'm, and I made sure I didn't make it a black thing or, you know, I wanted everybody to see that this is a problem. It has nothing to do with race. It's a white thing. It's a brown thing. It's a black thing. And what I mean by that, and when I say poor, I'm talking about the poor of whites. You know what I'm saying? I ain't yeah. talking about the rich whites. I'm talking about the poor whites that live where we live at. And that's the problem. That's why I put white faces up there, black faces up there, Hispanic faces up there, and a multitude of more faces I'm going to put up there because I wanted the youth out there to really, really see in the eyes of dudes who are doing life sentences. And you could prevent yourself from being one of them by seeing what goes on in the food that we eat. It's just real oh, shit. How is it, man? Those guys in life sentences, how do they do it, man? Fuck. Man, listen, man. I actually was talking to a couple of them yesterday, you know? And, you know, how they do it is seeing people like me. When y'all support me, when you support people like me, I just left prison 90 days ago, y'all. 90 days ago, bro. I, I wrote a book, started my business. My book is on Amazon. And that's my I, last that's my last question. So you could tell us yeah. about that, you know. And, and that's how you end the kind of how you end the book. And it says after after years of long-term incarceration, 19 years, well, now it was 20, but this was the yeah. book. 20 yeah. years at the time to be exact. I can honestly honestly say that I'm ready to be free. Yes. You know. How was one? How was that first day when you get out? What was the feeling? What did you do first? Um, and, and you know, what did you eat first? Um, and and three, what you know, what makes you feel confident that you that you're ready to be out here? You know, you went through a lot of shit, um, yeah. a lot of stabbings, bro. Yeah. You seem like one of the smartest people that I know, um, yeah. and just a lot of things that you experienced. You got love in your heart, which is one of the most important things that that you need yeah. as a human being out here. You know, yeah. how do you feel, man? And how do you feel? And what's your plan? Do you have a plan? Yeah. Tell us about your book a little bit and just what yeah. you, because it is part of your plan now. Just give me a little yeah. bit on that. Now the afterlife, now that you're out here free, only nine well, days. I, I well, I would say you had this funny story real quick, right? When I was in prison, we used to see that Popeye sandwich, right? And I used to hear everybody throw that Popeye sandwich. Oh, oh yeah, that people were getting punched oh, over it. Yeah. So everybody, <laughs> yeah, we used to watch the commercials. They're like the commercials like. Ooh, ooh, I got Popeye. Right, everybody in jail go crazy with that commercial for y'all. So look, when I got out, I said, yo, I'm gonna give you a Popeye sandwich. And my brother and my girl picked me up. You know, my girl, she kept it real with me while I was in prison. And I'm with her right now, y'all. Me and my girl together, the one that was with me in jail. I'm that's out here dope. right now, y'all. We loving each other, holy yeah, damn. But anyway, so I go to Popeye's. Give me a sandwich, I open it up. I'm like, y'all, we get an extra spice. I couldn't believe I was eating this Popeye sandwich, y'all. So that was the first thing I ate, was that Popeye sandwich. It blew me away. It was, it was great, y'all. It was like the best thing ever. But my plan, while I was incarcerated, I said, you know what? My brother told me to write a book. He said, your, your life is interesting. People will love it. Uh, write a book. I never thought about really writing one before, so I wrote it. Then I wrote another one. Then I wrote another one. Kind of fun. I had three books right here while I was in jail. Y'all already wrote them. I had yeah. four years left before I even got out. So I said to myself, okay, 
I, I'm a visionary. I got to tell this story of oppression. I got to tell a story to my youth out there that they tricking us and putting us in these cages for our life and they making millions and billions of dollars off us. I, I just needed to tell somebody. So I wrote these stories down, y'all. And I said, I'm going to tell the truth. I'm going to tell about me being a thief. I'm going to tell about me being a robber. I'm going to tell about me doing these foul things that I did, right? And I wanted to depict that because I wanted y'all to see that the worst of the worst can even become a better person, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. So while I was in there, I wrote these books. I came out. I said, man, they owned me for 22 years. So now I want to take my life back. So I went and started my own business, Joseph P. Langdon Enterprise, LLC. And I own my freckles on my face now yeah, because I was yeah. owned by them for so long. Now I own everything. And I learned these things while I was incarcerated. So I learned that. So I said, I'm going to want to be able to speak to people. So I went and got me a professional license from Toastmasters International so I could become a professional speaker. I had to switch up my Ebonics and my slang so I could communicate to a broader audience. You know what I'm saying? I ain't just want to, yo, you know what I mean? Yo, yo. So yeah, I wanted yeah. to take gangsterism and mix it with the intellect and bring it to the world so everybody could understand what's going on. You feel what I'm saying? Yeah, so I came up with that and I created this program, y'all, which is No Comrades Left Behind which is a program for guys coming out of prison, which I'm gonna show them through hands-on experience how to be successful after incarceration, like such as bank accounts, LLCs, uh, just jobs, job training, just having that motivation because they could see guys like myself who just left jail 90 days ago yeah, doing sure. it. And also, I, I also started this program for the youth, which is called Change Their Minds, Change Their Lives. And what I'm doing with them is, Basically, trying to show them that it is ways of making money outside of selling drugs. For example, I'm in here selling T-shirts. I got T-shirts. Yeah, and you got it, man. You got to work on that link. We got to get I'm that link so people, people, you got to get the link up. I'm going to help you get the link up this week so we can people can order yeah. them from your yeah. Shopify store and no doubt. order them right from there. No doubt. And what I'm trying to show the young guys you know, out there, and not just the young guys, but the young ladies, we can't forget about them because we all one in the same. Yeah. I'm just trying to show them that there's different ways of just selling crack or selling some dope. You could come up with an idea, right? And then you could look right up on YouTube and you can investigate this idea. Yeah. And it's just one, two, three, and you could bring it to life and be an entrepreneur. And that's what I'm trying to show the guys in the hood. That's what I'm trying to show the females in the hood. And if you had, if, if you had right now, if you had, you know, Three teenagers right now that were in front of you from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We got a big problem here. Kids yeah. stealing, stealing cars, man. It's big. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's just out of control. A lot of people dropping out of school, especially because of this virtual stuff. You know, if you had three of these kids that were from Milwaukee and you have a couple of seconds with them, what would you tell them? man? if they're already not gangbanging, but they're already selling dope, they're out here. Still, you know, a lot of these new gangbangers, they don't even have money, man. They're just yeah. like, stealing cars, smoking weed, yeah. stealing from the other guy, buying a belt, a little Gucci belt, so they yeah. can rock it every single day. You yeah. know, what would you tell that guy that's already facing that? You know, what was be what would be one thing, like a step? Like, like what was one step that he has no money, he has nothing at all, he has no support, all he has is like a phone with internet, and you in front of him. What was it? What is his first step that you would tell him to save his life? The first thing you do is find a temp job that pays you that day. You understand? There's jobs that pay you that day. So you could work an eight hour job, a shift, and they would give you a card and you would have the money on that card after your shift and you can withdraw the money, yeah. right? You would get paid that day. You could clearly look on the internet right now 
because I work for one of those jobs in the re-entry program right now where I only make $50 a day. Yeah. That's what I make. I did all of this with $50 a day, right? Yeah. So I'm showing you that all you have to do, you, young guy, young lady, big man, big lady, whoever you are, just look and you can see temporary jobs that will pay you right then and there. So you don't have to wait for your money. So while you're working days and days and you can save a little bit of it, you can also go get another job so you can wait for that job that pay you for two weeks. And that's amazing, that's, a, that's so real that you say that because that's the issue, man. A lot of these people out here, a lot of different situations, they want now. And a lot of people, that's what they, when they, when, as a caseworker, that's what they tell me. It's like, all right, Yusuf, we can get a bank account. I'm going to get a job too, but I need something now. Like, I ain't, and, and yeah. people don't think that there are jobs that you can do painting, roofing, right there. Different things that you can do. A, a lot of different companies that are hiring all, even now, right now, snow removal. There's so much stuff that yes. you can get. So I, I guess, yeah, get yourself, you know, find that's yourself. That's the first step. The first step was to find your, look in your device. Figure out how you can get a job that pays you that day, right? And as you, because I work two jobs, y'all. I actually show y'all on Facebook. I actually show y'all on my YouTube that I'm working jobs. I'm really out here picking up trash on the ground. I'm really out here picking up boxes and picking and packing and stuff like that. You've only Whatever. been out for three months. Three months. Only been out three months, y'all. Got two jobs. Started my own business. Got a book in stores. And I'm not saying that to be arrogant. I'm saying that to y'all to say this. You can do it too. All you have to do is this, figure out what you're great at. See, most people think starting a business this is this complicated thing, but I made a video about that. And the process is very simple. All you need is an idea, a reasonable idea. And all you have to do is believe in that idea. And then what you do is apply it. You do it. Don't worry about what people say. Don't worry about, oh, he out there selling ice cream in the street. So yeah, what? Yeah, fuck it. Even if you're selling hot dogs, you still- So sell... what? Yeah. Get that money. What they yeah. ain't telling you is this. If you're selling crack, and if I'm selling hot dogs in the hood or in the stadium, I'm making more money than you are on that little strip selling some crack and you wasting your whole life because yeah. the police can come. Me, yeah. I got all my money and I'm eating hot dogs for free. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta love, think like man. that, y'all. Don't sacrifice your lives for nothing, man. That's what I'm trying to tell you. That's what this all is about. From the sandbox sure. to the sandbox, that's what this all is about, man. Man, well, just I appreciate you, bro. That. From the sandbox to the cell block, man. You guys can find the book on Amazon. You can find it on sure. Kindle. Um, there was another one, man. I found it in a couple platforms out there. All you have to yeah. do is pretty much Google it from the sandbox yeah. to the cell block. Man, yeah. you got to buy it, read it. You know what you got to do next? You got to do the voiceover so you can do it on sure. Audible. And people yeah, can just I, listen I, I'm to it. To, I'm about to put that together. But they already asked me, uh, do I want somebody else to do it? And I said, nah, I do it myself. So people yeah, yeah. really feel it. And yeah, I'm going to do that dope. next month. Yeah, yeah, that'll be dope. I don't forget to follow me, y'all, on Instagram, Joseph P. Langdon, y'all. I'm trying to do some big things. We need y'all children to be a ball. We need the adults. We need the fathers. We need to come together as a unit, as a village. And, I, and, I'll, put, and I'll put all your links all your links below so they can follow. Sure, man. Man, and, I I, and I appreciate you, Poppy. I appreciate you, Poppy. I for appreciate giving you, bro. Talk to the people, man. We keeping it real. Because hey, what well, we're going to do... Man. This is what we're gonna do, man. Because I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're gonna put this out to the public. We're gonna share with a couple organizations, so a couple yeah. kids to see it, and then we're gonna check in with you in another. We're gonna check in with you around June or July, but I'm gonna take yeah, the trip sure. down there, and we are gonna for see sure. how you're doing then. So for we sure. can do every three months. We can for see sure. the process that you're doing, where your book is sure. gotten, and you know you can do sure. your own, you can do your own blogging with your account. So I think it, I think a lot of people watching this, and people that are not watching this, that will. 
I think they'll they'll want to see where you're at in a couple of months. You know, you've only yeah. been out for because it's a big story, bro. It's it's sure, man. rare for for someone to come out and really do. You know how it is, man. Most of the time, people yeah. don't write back. So it'll yeah. be interesting to just see what, where you're at in three months from now. Well, you've already you've been out for three months. You haven't went back. You got the book out. You're working every day. You know what I mean? You still what you got the wife, which is a big deal. That support system. You know, what sure. I mean? now, me and you about to be cool. We brothers now, bro. I'm gonna be telling you, Poppy. Yeah, yeah, so now you build it. Change the world, Poppy. Bro, you're building that support system that you need. Thank you're working you. on the money. So it'll be interesting where you're at three months from now. Bro, that book, the front page is amazing. You really got to get you. on that. Again, guys, you can find it on Amazon from the sandbox to the cell block. You can find it on eBay. I appreciate you, my brother. Um, yeah. I'm a, uh, anything else you want to put out there? I just want to let the parents know out there, man. Yo, when your kid is doing something, and he seemed like he has talent, but you ignoring it, open your eyes and invest in what he's doing or what she's doing, because you might find something great in them. And what we do is we ignore it or we pass it off as, ah, oh, he's just being, uh, he's worrisome, or he's just irritating, he playing the music too loud, or he banging on the drum. Yeah, he got a talent. Let your child explore. Because once you take away the exploration, you know what happens? They go somewhere else, because you took away the attention from what they wanted to do. And then he went to the streets. So invest in your children's dreams. Pay attention to what they like to do and find a way to make it happen for them, you know? Yeah, so man. My, my, son, like I did. Man, my son wants to be a professional scooter rider, man. But I'm supporting shit, man. I'm letting him do his thing. I'm recording See? him at the park. Got to do it. Let him do his thing, man. But that's I appreciate you, you that's man. That's out of jail, man. I appreciate you, Joseph, man. I'm going to uh, – give me one second here.